Hey, it is awesome to have you here. I'm Jack, one of the pastors. Uh, just a couple quick things. We want to welcome, officially, Anya and Lyle back uh, with us. They had an amazing once-in-a-lifetime kind of trip. You can hear more about that. We also, we've had a lot of worship team have an amazing like once-in-a-lifetime trip this last couple months. And so talk to Taylor and uh, Micah and any others that uh, have just gotten great experiences. Also want to let you know about um, Chris has been walking around doing some video stuff over the last couple months. Uh, we are in a process right now of hopefully by the end of June having a kind of, I don't know what to call it, I'm totally not cool with this lingo. Like, I'm, I'm just not cool. But like a hype video, have you ever heard about that? Yeah, that. Um, like, it'll be cooler than what I just said. But, um, like, just a video that kind of gives people a taste of what Elements is about. And the whole reason we're producing that is for you. It's for you to invite people. Because that's the mission of this church, is inviting people into a life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus. And so we want to give you tools that'll have you an opportunity to do that. So look for that coming out uh, later this summer. Just kind of let people know. It'll be about 60 to 90 seconds, and you can share it all over, you know, uh, Tweetface and Facebook and Bookface and all that kind of stuff. So, um, hey, glad that you're here. Welcome. If you have your Bibles, take them and go to Luke chapter 12. Or you can pick up a U version on your phone if you want. Free Bible app. If you click on events and then type in Element City Church, you can actually find all of our sermon notes and stuff. We'll get there in a second. But as you're turning there, I want you to think about uh, mashup words, okay? So we have all know them. We've seen them around. Anyone, uh, a famous mashup word would be staycation, right? Staycation. Two words. You're going to stay here. It's this cation type thing. Here's what I want you to do. Turn to your neighborhood, the two, three people right around you. You have 15 and a half seconds to come up with one other mashup word that you've heard. You ready? Set. Go. 15 seconds. Ready? Go. A mashup word that you have heard or seen. It's like two words that are smooshed together that have a meaning. Staycation is an example of that. Maybe you've heard of others. All right, anyone ever heard of spork? Spork, come on, it's like a spoon and a fork put together. It's like the best utensil ever, right? Like Little Mermaid would have wanted to find that one, okay? Chillax, anyone ever use the word chillax? Please don't. Um, (laughs) I'm gonna tell you, I tried that the other day um, and it doesn't work. And it really doesn't work when you use it with your spouse. So just heads up, okay? So that's not not good. Webinar, right? Webinar. It's a web, and it's the seminar online, not in a room, and they kind of swoosh it together. Hangry. Anyone ever been hangry? Yes. How many of you hangry right now? Okay, hang in there. Uh, I'll I'll try to preach shorter. But um, (coughs) one word I want you to think about is affluenza. Affluenza. And it's a fancy word that uh, sociologists have kind of come up with to kind of describe some things. Uh, Anyone ever heard this word, affluenza? Affluenza is this kind of combo word between affluence, uh, those who have just lots of things and have opportunity and lots of resources and money and uh, possessions and things like that. It's just part of who they are and what they have. And uh, influenza is kind of this disease that you've maybe heard about that has this opportunity to kind of be a part of wrecking someone's life, even potentially to this idea of playing out in, in dire circumstances. And so sociologists have kind of put these words together to say, to help describe a culture that has been blessed like beyond reality of just its blessing 
but also this idea of how that blessing can be something that's almost like feeds this disease for something more. Now, if you're smart at all, you have already figured out where we're going tonight. And I'm not gonna be bashful about it. So I'm gonna take us on a journey, I think, through one of the parables that Jesus teaches that's gonna look at this idea of resources and money, and and how do we handle stuff, and how do we live in a world, let's just be honest, we live in a culture that's in the red zone of affluenza. We live in a culture that is saturated with the ability of of owning and, and this quest for always wanting more. Anyone ever felt pressure internally, you don't have to raise your hand, but just have you ever felt the pressure to have more? I bet you have. I know I have. And so there's this tension that rises in, I think, in particular, that it's something that we face in our culture. It's something that kind of comes at us. And Jesus is gonna tell this parable. We've been looking at parables because they're really, in reality, life lessons and kind of some, some tips and, and, and some kind of hope of here's how to live the best possible life that Jesus is teaching. We looked at, he's taught about 40 different parables in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 16 of those 40 deal with money. Why? Was Jesus just looking to get rich? No, he was homeless. He didn't have a bank account that he tried to build up. He didn't try to get rich off of people, did he? You study any bit of his life and you realize that possessions never held him. He may have held very few possessions, but they never held him. And friends, we live in a culture that's the exact opposite of that, if we're not careful. That possessions become the, the main pursuit of life, and it's not so much that you can't have them. The question becomes, how much do they have you? How much do they have your friends, people you're connected to? This isn't a sermon about, okay, don't have money. That's not, Jesus never taught that. He, he never looked at this idea of, okay, go be a monk and live in the desert. That was never part of any conversation that he had. One time he challenged someone to give everything away, but it's the only time you'll see it in scripture. And it was a specific challenge to that specific person because of the thing that was in his heart. And this idea of affluenza is this, cultural context of which we live in that says, hey, there is this pursuit of always wanting more that if we're not careful can actually become a disease and begin to have its drastic effect upon us. So in Luke chapter 12, here's the setup for uh, this, this parable Jesus is gonna tell, okay? In uh, chapter 12, uh, let's see, where are we at? Verse 13 Here's what's going on. Jesus is teaching. He's got a crowd of people around him, thousands of people, big crowd, okay? He's teaching. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So what does that instantly tell you is going on? Someone's not getting something that they want, right? Hey, Jesus, would you tell my brother to share my father's inheritance because something has happened here that it's gone haywire and he's not getting what he is? Jesus replies, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? Who did that? And then verse 15, then he said to them, to them, all of the crowd watching, he's not responding to the one guy that asked the question, he's responding to the whole crowd. He says, watch out, 
Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So Jesus is teaching. One guy interrupts Jesus. That takes some guts, right? Jesus, hey, will you tell my brother to share? Because I'm really ticked right now. He's not sharing. And Jesus goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. You want me to be a referee? How many of you love referees? Now listen, you played referee. You have played referee before with your siblings, with your kids as parents, maybe with someone at work where you had to kind of work through an issue with something that was happening between two people and you had to play referee and what? You hated it. No one wants to be a referee. No one looks good in stripes. You don't want to be a referee. Nobody likes referees. That's why we yell at them in every game, even if they did something right. We just want them to know we don't like you. And Jesus says in this instant, maybe, look, 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 if you're looking for me to be a referee, you've missed who I am. I've come to be a savior, not a referee. Don't limit me to being a referee. In fact, I can tell you what's going on. You don't have a money problem. You have a heart problem. Money has too much of your heart. And so as a savior, I'm gonna tell you a story. Not as a referee, but as a savior, I'm gonna tell you a story. And I'm gonna caution you to be on your guard. And so here's the story that he tells, he goes on. Verse uh, 15, he says again, remember? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And he tells them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So a harvest would always come in. It would be maybe a normal harvest. And he would have the space to carry and store a normal harvest. But this is an abundant harvest. This is beyond normal. This is the extra. Above and beyond is what he gets. And it just comes in. Did he produce the harvest? No. He, He probably worked hard at it. He probably did the right things. He probably you know, worked hard to try to get the harvest to be great, but you don't control the harvest, do you? Any gardener knows that, that you can plant and you can pull out weeds and you can do the stuff that takes to create the conditions for it to be abundant, for it to be good, but you don't ultimately control that. It comes from somewhere else. He says, so his rich man yielded abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops, my extra that I've got. And then he says to himself, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. Listen, that is a harsh statement in the first century. It's hard to hear that now. You fool, he says in this story. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus ends the story. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is how it will be. 
Jesus is saying, look, you don't have a money problem. I'm not gonna be a referee. I will be a savior, that's what I've come to do. And I'm telling you, you've got a heart problem. In fact, most of you here do, myself included. We have a heart problem because of the culture in which we live. We breathe in affluenza every single day. I don't care what your bank account says. I'm telling you, the culture in which you live, which I live, which we breathe in, feeds this as what Jesus is talking about. He says, look, there's some things about greed you have to understand. He kind of almost lays out and defines greed here. So let me give you a, a couple things about greed. Greed has a tendency to lie to us. Greed has this way of lying to us to say, life really is about what you own. Life really is, in fact, the good life really is about acquiring the next, the more. Life really is, in fact, true life, true happiness, true contentment is about gaining more. And this quest for more is really at the heart of greed. Now, does that mean you should never have anything? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. But this affluenza, this idea of this influx of pushing us to say, and what does he say to us? What does he say to the people then? Watch out, be on your guard. Listen, it is really easy to see greed in someone else, isn't it? <laughs> Let's be real. It's really easy to see greed in someone else. We can get out binoculars, we can go, whoa, those people are greedy. Let's be honest, right? And we can point it out, right? Greed is really, 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 really hard to see in the mirror. It's easy to see through a window, but it's really hard to see in a mirror. It's hard to recognize it because greed has a tendency to, to lie to us. Greed also has this tendency to blind us. It, it blinds us to the realities of life and to the spiritual things that matter most. It, it has a tendency to blind us, create blind spots in us that this possession, this kind of pouring out, this chasing after, this is what Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes, it's this chasing after the wind. You never catch it. There's always a new finish line, there's always more. And so there's this pursuit that happens. It's important to understand again, remember? Jesus does not say that having money or being skilled at making money is wrong. That's not what he's saying at all. And people in, in Christianity have used that sometimes to try to pry money out of people. Listen, I don't want your money. I'm not here to tell you that. I'm here to tell you this. If you don't, and if I don't, if we don't heed Jesus' warning to watch out, we're the ones who lose. We're the ones, you're the one, I'm the one that loses out on having God and his generous heart being formed in us, we miss out. And we think we gain by trying to get everything in the world and everything that it's saying, but we're the ones who miss out. This isn't about having money. This is about does money have you? Because that's the issue that he's really getting at. He's saying, look, this rich man had a problem. He was selfish. It was all about him. He hoarded what he had. It was all about his pleasure. He put his trust in his wealth and in nothing else, no one else. 
selfishness, greed has a way of blinding us to who matters in life and what matters in life. And we think possessions and owning uh, and acquiring and building up, that that's really what matters. And that's what we need to have. Did you hear it in his words throughout this parable? I, 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 my, my, my syndrome. Did you hear that? 10 times in four verses. He says, my wealth. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I will build bigger barns. It's all about I. Where's God in this picture? Nowhere to be found. Where's his family? Nowhere to be seen. Where's people who are struggling in life? Not mentioned at all. It's this, when I have extra, it's obviously for me. When I have extra, it's obviously for me. He was totally blind to the needs of others, to the mention of the poor, to God, to God's priorities, and even to his own family. I, 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 my, my, my. That's the lie and the blinding of greed. Greed also ultimately pursued, ultimately destroys. This person in this story, it's a story, lived out and let greed get a grip of their heart that they ultimately pursued everything that way. And listen, it ended with a total loss. Everything lost, gone. There is no U-Hauls on a hearse. You don't get to take it with you. And so when everything is about you and everything about what you can acquire, and about what you can attain, about what you can create, what you can carve out, and it's all about your kingdom. Listen, your kingdom has a shelf life to it. Mine too. And you don't know the day, nor do I. But we know there will come a day. So it's this challenge of watch out, be on the lookout for all kinds of covetousness, all kinds of greed, the tentacles of greed that tend to, to kind of grip into our life and into our heart. Jesus is saying, you gotta watch out for this. You gotta look out for this because it's everywhere. And if people in the first century who lived day to day struggle with this, how much more would Jesus' warning be heeded in our culture today? A couple quick things. I think this is why it's important for us. We need to recognize our own unique vulnerability in the culture in which we live. We need to recognize that we have a unique vulnerability living here in the United States. I often think if, if God were to look over all the nations of the world, and if, if, he would, if we could have ears to hear and eyes to see what he would say is what are some of the cautions that he would say to this nation, or to this nation, or to, to this nation. I can't help but think that one of the cautions he would say to this nation is this notion of affluenza and how it can affect everything. We have a unique vulnerability that we need to be careful about. We often, uh, in our culture, spend more on jewelry and shoes and watches than in higher education. There was a, a book called Affluenza that was written and the authors came out, this is a few years ago, 30 years ago. Uh, 30 years ago, do you know that there was <coughs> more high schools than shopping malls? That is not the case anymore. What does that say 
about our culture. What does that say about how we're, what we're surrounded with? You think about this, Americans have tons of credit cards carrying over, this is 2016, over 779 billion, B, billion dollars worth of credit. Not what they own, but what they're trying to pay off to own. Why? Because we live in a culture that says you've gotta have more. Our culture is invested that we would pursue this. That's why they spend so much money to tell us, you need this, you've gotta have this. Listen, nothing wrong with getting things. One of the best decisions Amy and I did uh, eight or nine years ago was cut up every credit card we had. We have two debit cards. I'm telling you, it was the best decision we ever made. Some people say, well that's foolish, you're not building credit, I don't care. Because I know where it took me early on in marriage. And I don't want to go back there. Because that's what our culture says. That we each are called to kind <clears> of <throat> get our financial house in order. Each one of us. Now listen, you may have a different financial house than I do. I bet you do. And whatever that house may be, what Jesus, I think, is teaching in this passage and all throughout the New Testament is get your financial house in order. Understand where you're at, where you'd like to go, and, and have a plan and have a path for that. No one works a plan if they don't have a plan. So you've got to have a plan, and that's important. It's important to say, hey, this is where we want to go. This is what we want to be. And maybe you want to make generosity a part of that a part of that journey. That's why we do FPU, Financial Peace University around here. We'll do another class in the fall perhaps. And if you need help getting a plan, that would be my first suggestion and a first step to at least get people who would say, hey, here's some framework of some, some words and concepts and practices that might help you begin to take some steps in getting this worked out for you. We live in a culture where we need to not only just stand but we also need to push back against materialism. We need to be people who, who don't just stand still because in the culture in which we live, greed, materialism, all this is pushing against you every, every day. And you will not stand up against it if you don't at least push back a little bit because it just will overwhelm you. It will take you to places that you don't want to be. It's always on the move. We have to fight against, we can't be passive about this. We have to be active. And so maybe it's asking questions like this. Where can we make do with less? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Where can we make do with less? Where are we senselessly going along with consumerism that this idea that more is always better? This mindset that's a part of our culture, is there anything that, are we just slipping? Are we just going that way? Where can we be rich and more generous toward God and others? Have you ever asked yourself that question? The gravitational pull of greed in our culture, a culture of affluence, is everywhere. And it's one that we have to push back against. Here, here's the question, the tension question we have to wrestle with. Our culture will ask us, our culture, our economy will ask you, why don't I have more? That's the question it will breed in us naturally because we live here. Why don't I have more? Look at that person, they've got more. Why don't I have more? 
And so that would be the natural question that would come about as just people who tread here and live here. But God's culture, God's economy is asking a different question. Why do you have so much? Why do you have so much? Now for some of you, you may be out of work. You're like, I don't have that much. Well, there's a lot of people around the world that live on less than $2 a day. Do you make more than that? There's a, a thing called the Global Rich List, globalrichlist.com. You can go there tonight. Type in your annual income. My hunch is that 80% of us are in the top 10% of the world, of the world. No matter what your occupation is, what you do for a living, my hunch is you're a lot richer than you think you are. Why do you have so much? I think what Jesus is trying to teach in this principle, in this story, in this parable, is this idea of, listen, it's really easy in our culture to say, how come I don't have more? But what if we were to ask the question, how come I have so much? And what does it look like to be a person? This is why we talk about around here a lot of times, uh, and I know some of you trust me and some of you don't, and, and that's cool. Uh, I hope that you give us a, a second chance because this is really about a better life for you. That maybe money, maybe possessions have gotten to a place where they possess you. And what Jesus is trying to help people who are followers of him is to realize possessions are things. Money is just money. It's amoral. What you do with it matters. Because what you do with your money says, this is where my heart goes. You show me someone's checkbook, and I'll tell you where their heart goes. It's just reality. Because we give our hearts, and so Jesus says, look, <clears throat> you, you can't serve two masters. That's why some of Jesus' teaching is just tough. It's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for people who are like, oh, kumbaya, this is awesome. No, this is tough. This is not easy. But what Jesus is driving home is, look, don't let, maybe this is the principle we, we should live with. If we can begin to think, why do I have so much? How would that phrase, just using that filter in your life, how would that change the next 10 years of your life? If you just live with the filter, man, why have I been blessed with so much? Jesus, why have you blessed me with so much? What do we get to do with it? What, what do you want to do with it? What if this principle lived out in your life? When I am blessed with more than I need, it's to partner with God in blessing someone who is in need. What if that principle began to live out in your life? When I am blessed with more than I need, it is to partner with God in blessing someone who is in need. This isn't about socialism. This is about having the generous heart of God formed into us that does not happen without practical steps. It's not osmosis. It's decision after decision of saying, I'm going to do this. Because we live in a culture that pushes us with something else. <clears throat> see, this guy made plans in this parable as far out as he could see. Here's the problem. He didn't look far enough. 
because Jesus teaches there's another life coming. And what you see in the scriptures is what we do in this life, investing in the things of God, investing in the things that matter, that matter to him, as we partner with him, as we partner in blessing other people, that that has ramifications. Not to how you get to heaven. Listen, you only get to heaven by having faith and trust in Jesus, period. That's it. But it will affect what happens when you get there. That's what the Bible teaches. You can ask me questions about that. I don't know. I wish I knew more. But here's what I see in Scripture is Jesus is teaching over and over again how we invest, how we utilize, how we become managers, not owners. In our culture, we're owners. It's just mine. It's I. It's I, 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 my, my, my syndrome. And what Jesus is saying, no, this is, you're a manager. Um, let me try to make this really, really simple. The best I can. <clears throat> how many of you like chocolate chip cookies? Okay. Um, you raised your hand. Come on up. Yeah. Yeah, come on up. You can come up. You really like chocolate chip cookies, Britt? Okay, come on up. <coughs> I'm gonna have you stand right here, okay? It's good to see you. How you doing? Awesome, I do have chocolate chip cookies here. Um, I, have, I have two. Okay. How many do you have? I don't have any. You don't have any? Oh. Um, <coughs> I really like chocolate chip cookies. They're really good. And, I enjoy, you, you like chocolate chip cookies, right? You really do. Yeah, that's great. Um, man, I wish I wish, wish I could help you out. But um, you know what? I'm going to pray for you um, that you would get some chocolate chip cookies. Just pray. Father, I know that Brittany loves chocolate chip cookies, and so would you just bring someone along uh, that would maybe bless her with some chocolate chip cookies? That would be great. I know she'd enjoy it a lot. Amen. Okay, so that's great. Um, now, it would probably be weird for me to eat both of these, so I'm just gonna save this one for tomorrow because it'll be better for tomorrow, but no, don't go away yet, don't go away yet. So, um, <coughs> you really do like chocolate chip cookies, though. So. Yeah, these are, these are pretty good, they're pretty good. <coughs> As I'm joking, I my chocolate chip cookie. Um, it's a good thing I have water, too. Um, so. Uh, maybe I'll save that for tomorrow. Now, how many of you, if you grew up with siblings, grew up with parents, uh, in this particular scenario, when someone has two chocolate chip cookies and someone else has zero chocolate chip cookies, what word would you share or what word would you say to them? I just gave you the word. Share, share right? Yeah. That's tough to do. That's really tough to share. So... I think I'm just going to keep these. Um, <coughs> what, what we feel, what you're feeling right now, you're feeling like, oh, why, why did I come up here? Why did I raise my hand? This is stupid. Um, the rest of you are like, well, that poor girl, she doesn't have any cookies, and that's sad. That guy's a jerk. Um, so <coughs> what we feel in the moment is, is we go, hey, that's not right. You got two. Share, jerk. Right? That's what we say. So, um, I tell you what, I, I will share. That's a crumb. I'm going to keep that because that's my crumb. But I will share a chocolate chip cookie with you. So, there you go. Everyone give Brittany. Ooh.
when, when you are blessed with more than you need, it is to partner with God in blessing someone who might be in need. This idea of sharing is not just something your parents taught. I think the heart of God, if he could look across the world and see all the people who have two cookies, and at the same time look across the world and see all the people who have none, I think the heart of God says share. Don't you? So what does it mean to have the heart of God shaped in you, formed in you? Listen, you can't fix every need. You can't pass out that many cookies. But like we say around here a lot, you could do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. You can live with that principle. I'm gonna do for one what I wish I could do for everyone because I want the generous heart of God to be a part of my heart that he's forming in me. I want this to live out. I wanna live with this rhythm. We talk about this rhythm a lot, this give, save, live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. We live in a culture that flips that, that says live and let your lifestyle chase your income. And then maybe save a little bit. And then this is how we give in America. Oh, there's a tsunami? Oh, gosh, that looks rough. Here's 25 bucks. Um, here, here's a need. You got Girl Scout cookies? Man, I'm trying to lose weight, but I guess here's five. Um, that type thing. And then we walk around and go, hey, we're really generous, aren't we? No, you're not. You're a good tipper. Generosity affects your lifestyle. That's why the Bible teaches so often to be a percentage giver. To say, I'm gonna set aside a percentage. You determine this percentage. I grew up on 10%. That's just kind of how I grew up. I don't care. But for you, for you to have the generous heart of God formed in you, you choose. Work with God and say, what does this look like for me? Set it aside like you never had it. And give it back to God. That's what Jesus is saying. Be rich toward God. And the things that occupy his heart, the things that matter to him. What did Jesus say? I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell are not gonna stand against it. That's why the first thing we do is we give to Element City Church. That's what we do. In fact, it comes out. I never see it. I never think about it. It's just gone. That's what we do. And then we've got a compassion child that we sponsor, a couple other missionaries that we give to. Why? It's not because I'm a goody two-shoes. It's because we've determined that we want to be a people who live with generosity. Why? Because I follow a God who has been so, so generous to me. And why would I not want to have his heartbeat in me? So here's the challenge tonight. Figure this out for yourself. Figure out what your next step is. Uh, what, what did Jesus say? Listen, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the possessions that he owns. Be on your guard. Make a plan and then work your plan to say, God, here's what I want to do. The best I know how in this moment, this season, here's our next step, whether that's a couple or next step as an individual, you have blessed me. I got two cookies. 
And there's people over here who have none. And I want to share. And I want that heart to be more and more who I am and how I live. And so I just want to pray a blessing over you that you would go on an adventure. Because here's my hunch. For some of you who have lived this way, this idea of I'm gonna give to God first, it goes, and then I'm gonna save a little bit for myself, and I'm gonna live on the rest. And, and you don't pursue a lifestyle based on your income. You just say, this is how it's gonna be. My hunch is you would stand up and say, yes, this is the best way to possibly live. Now for some of you, you've never even thought about this. It's like, whoa, I'm, I live, <laughs> and then if I have anything left, I, I give. Listen, what Jesus is saying in this parable is, You've been given extra. What are you gonna do with it? And so it's this challenge that grinds at us a little bit. So I just wanna pray for us. We're gonna continue on in worship. Brian will close us out. We'll close with a song. Um, we're gonna enter into a time of communion where we remember the generous heart of God in giving his son, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that we would have life with God that we would have this opportunity to live life with God and grow in our spiritual journey with him. That it was his blood shed, his body broken, that made it even possible for us to have life with him. And now as we live life with him, he's wanting to shape our hearts more and more to be like his, reflective of his in this world. And so Father, I pray that for each one of us this week, God, this is not a topic that we wrestle with, we go, oh, that's a nice thought, we go out for dinner and we kind of file it away. This is one of those that hits at the core of who we are and how we live. It hits at the core of what we trust in, it hits at the core of what we believe matters most, it hits at the core of the kind of heart that you want shaped in each one of us. So Father, would you uh, allow your Holy Spirit this week to kind of I guess we just want to give you permission to mess with us a little bit, to challenge us into our next step as what does this look like? How do we live this out in our space, in our season, in our opportunity in life? Each one of us is at a very different place in this. So Father, would you whisper specifically to each one of us where our next step is to trust you, to follow you, and to allow your heart of generosity to be shaped within us. We can't fix every need. We can't share with every single person. But we could share with someone who's close. We could be a part of prioritizing the things that matter to you, that they would matter to us. So Father, that's what we ask, is that you'd stir us in these next moments of communion, and as we worship you in song, you'd be with us in this midst Disturb us, stir our hearts to take our next step. We ask that in Jesus' name.